Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Today, I'm here with Morena. Morena is a first-generation student with Mexican heritage from Oklahoma City. She has been navigating academia for nine years and is now on her way to a PhD program at SUNY University at Albany. So um, PhD program is my goal. (laughs) And SUNY uh, Albany was actually going to be on my list, but it's too far of a drive from where I live right now. And I have small humans and I was just like, uh, you know, like it's like two over two hours away. And I was like, mm, I don't know, and there's no professors that are interested in the same, uh, cause I'm in psychology. Uh, that's, that's the field I'm in is, um, and there's no professors that are interested in my specific interest. So yeah, but anyways, I'm from New York, so I, I'm quite familiar. So while uh, higher education has taken her to some amazing places and incredible people around the world, the journey hasn't been all smooth sailing. I I feel you on that. (laughs) To refresh and recharge, Morena spends quality time with her partner and two cats slash children. I also have two cats. They enjoy walking, hiking, and simply enjoying the splendors of being outside and have lately dipped their toes in in birding oh like watching birds mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah. I took uh college bio in high school you know decades ago not really um not yet <laughs> like in two years it'll be several decades ago um but yeah we learned how to you know watch birds and stuff but first coffee I've already had mine hopefully everybody can tell Marina thank you so much for joining the podcast today yes thank you for having me I'm super excited to talk to you when I saw your application because I was like, oh, goals. Uh, But also um, out of my family, I was out of my immediate family. So my cousin got a degree and my uncle did as well. But um, like my parents and and my siblings and stuff, I am the first to have a college degree. And um, next year I'll have three. So I'm very excited so I can understand that, but yours is a little more interesting as, um, you come from a, obviously a different heritage than I do. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your time in, in navigating this crazy world of academia, because it can be absolutely a lot. It's a lot. Yes, um, I think where my heritage comes in the most in my experience is how it affects me outside of the classroom. Because I feel like a lot of times people hear academia or grad school and they think, wow, those classes must be really hard. And yes, classes can be challenging, but it really comes second to all the other stressors. So for me, coming from a family where I am the oldest born woman in the family on my dad's side. So my dad's side is Mexican. My grandpa is from Mexico. He's from San Luis Potosí. 
and he immigrated here. That's a real cute story of how he ended up in Oklahoma and met my grandma, but you know, for another time. Um, but yeah, my, my role in my family as that oldest born woman in the family, you know, I have four uncles plus my dad. Um, there's only one other woman in my family and that's my aunt who's married to my eldest uncle and she's amazing. I love her so much but there are certain roles that women take in these families. And for me being the most educated, as far as highest education attainment, Mm -hmm. not to say I'm the smartest, but I've gone further in, in my education journey than anyone else in my family. People come to me with their questions about health things because I am in public health and I was in nursing school for literally a semester, but (laughs) You know, my family trusts me with this really delicate information. They come to me for um, my perspective on things about what they're experiencing. And then also the stress of having, for example, most recently, um, my grandparents, they're almost 80 years old. And so to be navigating grad school, just the normal stressors you would expect in grad school. And also having to balance that with, well, now your grandparents are in the hospital. And you're the go-to person in your family, you know, how do you adapt your schedule to be able to balance both things? Of course, my family is always my priority, so I will always put them first. But I also am in this weird point where I'm graduating this semester, or I guess I technically graduated. I didn't go, but congratulations. um, Thank you. Um, you know, how do I balance all these things? How do I make sure I successfully make it through school, which is what my grandparents want. It's what my family wants. Um, we, I come from a family that's always nurtured my interest in learning. And they've always told me, you know, my dad always told me knowledge is power. And so I just have this unquenchable thirst for learning things and using that information to give it back into my community, the people who raised me and being able to put my education into a useful application mm-hmm. because in public health, we talk about health disparities and things and I'm, I'm yeah. living it while I'm also studying it. So yeah. that's, it's interesting. Yes. In psychology, we also talk about the disparities. So my, um, my interest is stigma research. So like in groups, out groups, prejudice, discrimination, that sort of thing. So a lot of that come, you know, those disparities uh, come up because um, people don't even realize that, you know, race can be stigmatized, immigration status of not just you, but like your family members can be stigmatized. Like there are all these, you know, prejudice against groups of people. For me, I just finished um, a study on uh, the um, mental illness stigma, uh, because, you know, that's my interest as a woman living with bipolar disorder. So yeah, that, so we talk about that in psychology too. There are a a lot of disparities in the United States. I know all around the world, but especially here, because it was, you know, this country was founded on, um, white religious men (laughs) what they thought, and it's still pretty pervasive. So what kind of struggles have you found are unique to you compared to your classmates? Um, Because I know a lot of, especially white individuals who generations and generations here have lived here, they don't have a specific heritage per se. Um, You know, a lot of us, if you ask us, we'll just be like, "Mm, 
<laughs> I'm part this and part that and part this and part that. I don't really know. I don't, <laughs> I don't really have anything. <laughs> That's what I tell people all the time. They're like, so where's your family from? I'm like, upstate New York. there's like no you know uh generational ties but from the sounds of it you have a pretty robust heritage um especially your grandfather being able to share what he went through yeah I think for me uh the most challenging bit and I will say my undergrad community was very different from my graduate community So for my undergrad, I went to a school that is more of a commuter school. Um, I went to Mm -hmm. University of Central Oklahoma, and that's kind of where all the students who don't want to go to OU or OSU, they they end up at UCO. And we also have a lot of non-traditional parents or Mm non-traditional students like parents, um, people like me, uh, people who are pursuing majors that aren't really popular at other universities. Mm. So it's, it's a very yeah. mixed pot and you get a lot of people from similar uh, socioeconomical backgrounds. So people who are kind of from the same class, if you will, the same yeah. economic class. Um, whereas in my graduate school, I am at a predominantly white institution. It is a private university and my classmates were basically unrelatable for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I found what, three, four people in the entire school and I clung onto them for dear life. And I'm so excited to say that they are all very successful and very happy. Success and happiness looks very different for each of them, but they've all kind of found their ways after graduating. So I'm so excited for them. But for me, finding resources, to meet my unique needs has been very difficult here at my, I guess, not my current institution. I just graduated. I don't know. Um, You're like, I'm on my way to someplace else. It kind of feels like they're my ex now. So (laughs) it's a very complicated relationship, Um, but we're both moving on. Tulane and I are moving on from each other. Um, Yeah. Finding resources has been the most difficult. And I say that because I, you know, there are resources, not enough, obviously, but there are resources for people who are international students. There are resources for people who are children of immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, various cultural institutions within the university, and they all do a little bit to alleviate some of that um, isolation you may feel coming into a university of this demographic where you're just very out of place. You just constantly have this imposter syndrome. And for me, it was less about that and more about my household income. You know, I come from a very impoverished household, not to say that we didn't have food or housing. We always had those things, but you know, my mom is a single disabled mother. We struggled a lot, a lot. And we had to lean on other people to get our basic needs met every day. So coming in from that background into a graduate university in a completely different city, completely different state, and my classmates all have parents and grandparents who have college degrees. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Should I even be here? Like, do they know that they accepted me or was I a mistake? 
So I can't really find faculty because that's how I survived undergrad is I found faculty and staff people and uh, different student organizations. You know, I found people who could relate to me and who I could relate to them. And we all kind of supported each other. And I learned from these mentors Mm. And they were a big part of the reason I, I graduated at all and that I enjoyed school so much that I had a bit of a romantic view of grad school. I thought it was going to be the same. Um, turns out it's not. <laughs> um, so for me coming into a school like Tulane, I don't identify with any of the professors. Mm. Most of them are white anyway. And the ones who aren't are from a different country coming into the U.S. And that's a completely different set of challenges and experiences that I can't really identify with because I'm, I was born in the U.S. Both my parents were born in the U.S. So that's been difficult. And a lot of my faculty people that I, I, from what I've experienced, they're also not the family, they're not part of the core family support system. I am part of that core in my family. Yeah. Um, Me and a couple of other uncles, we're like the people who get things done in our family. We take care of everybody else and no one, none of my uh, classmates, none of my professors, none of the uh, staff people who worked in whatever projects I was involved in, none of them shared that experience. Mm. And so for me, if I'm in the middle of, uh, you know, some student organization meeting, or if I'm in the middle of class and my grandma calls, I'm going to get up and leave and take this call. And for some people that's offensive, like, yeah, well, you're, you're wasting our time or that's really disrespectful. Um, so that's kind of where that cultural piece comes in too, I guess, but yeah, finding, resources and feeling supported at an institution like Tulane is very challenging for someone like me who's not capable of relating to students who never had to worry about financial aid, who never had to worry about, well, I may have to go make a 10-hour drive back to Oklahoma because this happened to my mom or, you know, my aunt and uncle need me or whatever it is. You know, I, I don't, it was, it was a lot more challenging to find those support systems who could understand me and be there for me. So it was a very isolating experience, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that Tulane is unique. I've realized that this is a very, very common characteristic of universities, especially the ones, the fancier the private you know. ones. Yeah. Yeah. And see, and that's another thing. It's crazy because my family and friends all back home or people who just aren't in grad school, they haven't, you know, they, they maximized what they wanted to get from their undergrad or from high school and whatever they're doing now, they don't understand why I would be like, yeah, like I'm from, I'm from Tulane, but like, I'm not one of them, you know, like (laughs) I can completely relate to that. Like I get nervous now telling people that I'm at a private university for grad school because it means something completely different when you're in that academic community people view you differently and I'm like listen I'm not one of them like I've worked so hard to be here and I shouldn't be ashamed of like graduating from somewhere like Tulane but part of me is because I know that it just reeks of privilege and while I have Mm -hmm. so many privileges absolutely 100% or else I wouldn't be here 
it didn't come as easily to me as people would think. But then my yeah. friends and family, my mom's always telling people like, oh yeah, my daughter got too late. I'm like, mom, you know, Stop. don't, don't tell everybody that. <laughs> I'm hoping when you go to SUNY Albany, you'll have a different experience because it's a state school. And from my experience, state schools are a lot better about it. So a little bit about my academic journey right out of high school, I went to a private university. Um, my family also was low income and um, I didn't feel like I fit in at all, like at all. I don't even know if it was, I used to say it was my dream school, but now I wonder if it was my dream school or if it was just everybody else's dream school because I got full rides to like state schools and I only got a partial scholarship to this one. And now looking back, I'm like, I should have made a different like decision. <laughs> it was just too much. And I didn't feel like I belonged. So I can, I can relate to that on that aspect. I mean, obviously it's very predominantly white uh, school, predominantly white professors. Um, and then when I went back to school years later and started the journey I'm on, I went to a community college first because my grades were crap. I flunked out my last semester of the private university and completely different, right? Community colleges typically, especially I lived in Virginia, had quite the diverse staff, like very, and student population. You had people from, it sounds similar to where you got your, your, your bachelor's degree. Like you had people who were commuters, who were parents, who were like right out of high school. Were like, I think I, at one class, we had somebody who was like 70 in our class. Like you had such a broad spectrum of professors, but also students. And then you didn't, I didn't feel so alone in my bachelor's. I didn't really, because, um, I ended up attending, uh, a, uh, school that was, you know, catered to non-traditional students. Um, my spouse was in the military. So like they catered to a lot of military and stuff and it was very flexible. And now where I'm at for my master's, it's a state school. So, um, would I like the, the population to be more diverse? Absolutely. <laughs> but I, you do find more diversity in the professors than I found in that private university, right? Like you're seeing, um, a, a diversity in the backgrounds, um, race, age, like we have, uh, professors who immigrated to the United States. You have professors who our first generation in the United States, you have all sorts of kind of heritages and backgrounds. And it's been amazing to be able to learn from them because I'm like, you learn a different perspective. Uh, and, and so I really enjoyed it. So on the lower income aspect, I can relate to that because at a private university, I'm like, I don't belong here. <laughs> I don't fit your stereotype. I, I don't. And it kind of makes me nervous for PhD programs because some of the ones I'm applying to are at private universities. And I'm like, I'll, if I get accepted, I would go there and be like, I don't know if I fit this. Yes. Yes. That actually was something that figured into my application process, which really is a whole process. Like it's not just, let me find a school that has my major. Yeah. You know, as you get up further, you know, in more advanced levels of education, there's so many other little factors to mm -hmm. consider. And then you come to the realization that universities aren't, they don't all prioritize education. Yeah. And it sounds crazy to say that, 
but people don't realize that it's not necessarily about teaching students, Mm -hmm. but that's not to say I didn't apply to like, here I am talking about like, oh man, I had this awful experience or I never felt like I belonged here. Oh, let me apply for Johns Hopkins. Let me apply for Boston (laughs) university. Like I'm applying for all these fancy schools because no matter how we feel about it, I feel like we we still feel that pressure to apply to the schools we're supposed to go to you know I also think like why not like it gives you more opportunities because PhD programs are difficult to get into yes yes and there's so much to consider so much and you know you talked about diversity and that's one thing I found so interesting is when I was talking to current students and current faculty in these institutions I would ask about that because that's important mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. New Orleans is a whole other topic, but <laughs> as far as diversity, I felt comfortable here compared to Oklahoma city. You could walk around for days in Oklahoma city and only see white people. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this time that um, my partner and I, my partner is Vietnamese and we were in uh, a restaurant and we looked around in the restaurant. It was like full on afternoon lunch crowd, you know, super busy. And he looked around, he's like, we're the darkest people in here. And he was right. So my, when I asked people like, what is the diversity like at this university? And they're like, yeah, I think it's okay. Like, I think it's fine. <laughs> and mind you, I'm only asking like students of color. Like I only specifically reached out yeah. to students who I saw in their bio that they have a certain background Mm -hmm. or culture that I feel would be a little bit more appropriate to ask. I would trust their opinion a little bit more, you know? Yeah. And a lot of them like, yeah, I I think it's okay. And then I would have to take into consideration what their baseline is. Mm -hmm. And so many of the students, for example, at student, well, actually all the schools up there, Johns Hopkins, SUNY, uh, Boston, all of those schools that are kind of up there in that region. Northeast. Yeah. The North, the Northeast New England ish area. Right. A lot of them are coming from the bigger cities like New York mm-hmm. city. And so when they're in New York city and then they go to like SUNY Albany and university of Albany, they'll be like, yeah, the diversity is okay. It's not as great. I'm like, listen, you're com- your baseline is New York city. Yeah. My baseline is like Oklahoma, like everyone's heard about Oklahoma for one legislative bill or another. Like right now we're in, uh, I think Oklahoma has just got national attention for one of the most restrictive abortion policies. Yep. So like, that's my baseline. (laughs) So (laughs) having that conversation on what diversity looks like within the faculty and then the students, uh, I will say diversity and faculty was a major, major component of narrowing down which schools I would apply to. Because as much as I would have loved to apply to every single one of them that hit all of my boxes, right? That, that's expensive to apply. Yeah, like, I'm going to be spending like several hundred dollars to apply in the fall. Yeah, several like, hundred. Great. This rejection was $150. Wonderful. Right. Uh, so for example, for University at Albany and the other contender that I was very seriously consider- considering for public health programs. So now I'm going into a PhD for Latin American, Caribbean and US Latino studies. Both of these programs were like the the director of graduate studies were women with 
heritage rooted in South America. Not only that, but I'm pretty sure they were born and raised in South America and then came up here. So one was Peruvian, one was Colombian. And to be able to say my director of graduate studies, my DGS is a Latino woman, that was yeah. very important for me, especially being, you know, I, I see myself in them. I see mm-hmm. what's possible. And I know they're going to understand many of my challenges and what kind of support systems I need. And that's really important to have in a DGS. They're going to be the ones guiding you through this process. So Mm -hmm. if you're not comfortable with them, or if you don't feel like you will have a, a champion in them, like, are they going to fight for you? Then they are not going to have a great experience. Yeah. I don't know what it's like in public health, but in psychology, when you go to apply for a PhD program, you mentioned it's not about education. They're not worried now in a PhD program. Yeah, you do have to take some classes about you learning as much as you like learning educational wise, expanding your knowledge as they are. You're learning about the research you're learning to actually do PhDs are about doing like with psychology, you're learning how to research unless you're in a, um, an uh, education, how do I say this? Their focus is predominantly education. So my goal is to become a professor of psychology. There are universities, they're not very common where their focus is like to teach you how to be a professor, right? But predominantly it is research oriented. Some schools are more research oriented than others, but like for psychology, you're specifically looking for a school where someone has an interest that you have because they want people to be spitting out research that they can be like a co-author on, that they can say, I helped with this research and, and continue to move the field forward. So like if people think like, oh, you know, like for a master's, I just had to look for a general psychology program at a university I wanted to attend. PhD is a whole other level of looking. I don't know if you can relate if public health is the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And public health is a very tough discipline to crack into if you're not interested or have no experience with HIV, uh, nutrition. So things like food insecurity is a pretty big topic now. Um, Substance use. I'd say those are the three like hot things right now. Yeah. Uh, so most of the funding comes from like, for example, the National Institutes of Health, they're the ones who are funding these programs. And so if this funding package at this university, for example, one of the universities I applied to, I had an interview with them, it went so well, but they even said in the interview that they were having trouble figuring out where I would fit with their funding package because gotcha. their funding packages were all tied to the VA. Oh, okay. And my research areas of interest, I just don't feel like it would be helpful for me Yeah, to apply my skills and my knowledge as a PhD student within that VA context. Yeah. So it's not to say that I couldn't have just pushed my interview and be like, yeah, I'm all about the VA. Like I would love to do all this <laughs> right. research. Yes, please take me. Um, it, it was, it was hard to get that rejection. However, these are the things you have to consider. And if you're not interested or if you're not willing 
to work with an HIV study or food security or substance use, then things are going to be really difficult. Um, there's very limited funding, um, especially now. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that there seems to be a this is just my take. I don't have any like actual numbers, but yeah. it feels like there are more people who have um, their bachelor's degree. And right now we're all flooding to grad school because the jobs right now are non-existent unless you're working for like contact tracing or something COVID related. Yeah. Everyone else is flooding to get their master's in public health or their PhD in public health. Um, we also have a doctor. A doctor of public health uh, degree oh. available. It's more practice oriented. So taking research and actually making it relevant to the rest of the world and not just gotcha. staying in that scholarly journal. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a program I applied to and considered uh, for my doctoral studies. But I went with something else. Um, but yeah, it's your interest and your education really comes second to what funding is available. Mm-hmm. what the faculty are willing to support and what resources are available through that, that institution to help you nurture that interest and develop those skills in that specific area of work. Yeah. I had a list of 10, 11, 12, maybe schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am location geographically locate location, like I forgot how they put it. I can't really move around a whole lot. Mm -hmm. I have small humans and a spouse and, you know, that kind of like keep me geographically limited. That's it. Geographically limited. So I had a list, I want to say 10, 11 schools that were within a couple hours drive. Cause right now I drive an hour from my house and it's no big deal. Like this highway to me, it's like, I mean, I lived in Virginia before and anybody who has lived in the Hampton roads area with their 10,000 freaking tunnels will understand like you could spend an hour trying to go like 10 miles in that area. So like the fact that I can just get on the highway, drive an hour to school, really not have any issues and have multiple pathways to get there that don't require tunnels is great. Um, so I'm like looking at a couple hours drive. So then I had to shorten it. My professors, like you want professors who are interested in similar things as you are. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. It doesn't have to be mental illness stigma, but you're looking for like stigma, prejudice, like these kind of things so that you can help each other out, right? Because they want somebody who's going to help them with research. So then my, my list got smaller. And then I was like, do I really want to drive two plus hours to school? I have small humans. I have to come back if like something happens. Then my list got smaller. <laughs> And then I like, I mean, one of my professors was like, I applied to 10 schools and got into one. And so I thought I had to do 10. And then I was like, no, because they're not going to accept me anyways, because I I don't have the similar interests. And so then I kept like digging into their background and looking into it. And now I think I'm down to five or six, but it may be five because one of them hasn't listed what professors are accepting students next for not this fall, but the following fall. Um, for the 2023-2024 school year, like when they start that. And so I was like, well, that's a maybe because if the professor that's accepting students is not interested in a similar subject, it's a waste of my money. Because like you said, you're talking about like 
the cheapest, the cheapest application fee, I think is $75 for me. The most expensive, you're hundred and some odd dollars to apply. I think between all five universities, I end up with like over 500, 500, $600 worth of application fees. Dude, I'm on like a one income household here with a bunch of kids. <laughs> That's a lot of money. And so like, you're now having to make all of these decisions. And like you said, you have these boxes that need to be checked before you can even decide to apply. Yeah. And you know, location was, of course it should always be a factor, but for me, I have a partner who he is absolutely amazing. He comes along with me anywhere I go. He has no issues. He's just like, yeah, I can just do whatever and we'll go wherever you want. And, you know, we have two cats, so we don't have to worry about schools and, (laughs) you know, all that. So that definitely helps. But I did have a, a rule, absolutely no California and no Texas. 100%. Don't go to Texas. No. Which if you're in Latin American studies, those are like the two states that are there. (laughs) So, and even with the public health, they have great programs in both states. That's not to say the universities there aren't amazing because they are, they're very wonderful. They're very prestigious, but it's just not feasible to live there. And just interest wise, I'm from Oklahoma. Why would I move to Texas? Like, I don't like Oklahoma. Texas is not any better in my opinion. It's just busier and yeah. Oh yeah. But it, I will say this has been an incredibly difficult decision that I have cried about more than once because of the distance from my grandparents. Mm, My grandparents are everything to me and it, I almost declined my offer um, so I received three offers after applying to nine programs. You're not making me and... feel any better about these five programs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is just the burden we bear when hopefully I'll know. just get one. Uh, but one of my professors is like, you can reapply the next year and reapply the next year. And I've decided three, three strikes are out. So I will apply three times for three years in a row. And if they haven't accepted me by the third time, I will just stay with the masters. I can still teach at the community college level and some four-year universities allow you to teach with a master's. So that's my backup plan. Three strikes are out. So I will, they said the more they see your name, they're going to be like, this person is really motivated. And so that might help too. So Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it helps to ask what, what ended up being the reason I chose uh, Albany was it crossed all my other boxes. The only hang up was that it was so far away. And I, you know, the price of uh, flights from Texas to Albany, those were, these are the factors I considered. Um, It actually became a little bit easier when only Albany was, Albany was the first university to include funding information in my offer letter. Oh, good. And the other universities where I was accepted, one did come in with a, um, with a funding offer, but then 
it wasn't my top choice. You know, I had no. two programs over here and then the other one ended up not having any funding at all after so many verbal no. promises. They're like, yeah, we fund our students when they're funding, you know, when their study ends that they're, that funds them, we try to put them on another one, but yeah, you, you, that's not something that our students have to worry about. And then lo and behold, April 14th, I'm like, Hey, is something available yet? No, I'm sorry. We weren't able to secure nope. funding for you. Cool. My, yeah. my decision's due tomorrow. So I'll just you know, it was heartbreaking because that was my top choice, but yeah, well, the funding and unfortunately I don't feel any different about the location. It's still something that weighs very heavily on me, especially mm-hmm. now that my grandparents are even more delicate than they were yeah. say when I moved to new Orleans, but even in new Orleans, I'm only seven hours, eight hours away, you know, by car. So I can hop on my car at any time. And I have, you know, I'd hopped in the car and be like, okay, I got to go take care of them. I got to go check in on them. My family's exhausted. My uncles are exhausted from having to, you know, take on those duties Yeah. while also working. I have a flexible set schedule because I'm a student and with, you know, COVID our classes were mostly online. So it was even yeah. easier, but the location is definitely, definitely a factor. And, you know, I don't want to discourage you or make you feel, you know, nervous, <laughs> but I will say the number one thing that I'm already I, nervous. It's okay. <laughs> you're going to be up until like, even after you submit your final decision, after you've gotten your responses, it's, you're still going to worry, but, um, I will say reaching out to current students and current faculty was really helpful because mm-hmm. the, if you ask certain questions, they tell you, maybe they don't realize it. Maybe they'll specifically say like, Ooh, you should mention this in your personal statement. Yeah. Um, you find all these little details. So you're like, I'd mm-hmm. be a good fit for that. I'd be a good fit for that. Nobody else who's applying is thinking about this. So let me put it in my letter. Like, Hey, I am a great candidate for your program because I fit in this little gap that you have here. I fill it. And then I contribute even more than that. And also I'll benefit from what you already do in your department. Yeah. So talking to current students and current faculty to see what's what's hot, what's missing, what centers are there? Like is there a center for substance use and HIV studies? Is there a research study that this professor's, you know, just got this professor just got approved for and it'll start in the fall. So I'm thinking like potential funding offer, you know? Yeah. So finding those little details to enrich your personal statements and be like, this is where I fit in your program. Mm -hmm. We belong together. Please take me. (laughs) Yeah. My professors have told me do not even apply to a school that cannot give you funding. So a lot with psychology, a lot of the funding comes from they're paying you to teach. Mm -hmm. So like you become like not a professor yourself, but you're like supplementing classes. So the professors can focus on other things. So that's one of the things in in psychology that they provide. And then also research funding, but it's not, that's not the crux. The crux is they're like going to expect you to teach classes. Um, There are going to, you know, there's always like funding and stuff that that's there. Um, It's not really as much dependent on topics per se. And so I looked at all of them and they all provide like funding. Uh, I think one of them was like, you can apply to funding. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what comes of that. But yeah, they were like, do not, 
you should not pay for grad school, like a PhD. You should not pay for a PhD program. Like one is super expensive. Like some of the ones I am applying to, I'm like, if I had to pay tuition for this, there's no, cause I was like, I said to one of my professors, I'm like, man, I can't apply. Cause he, he was just like, just apply, just apply to wherever, like that they have professors. And I'm like, I can't afford some of these places. Like some of these places are private universities and I can't afford that. And he was just like, you're not going to pay. He was like, you should be applying to PhD programs where they pay you to go there. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, that's a thing. He was like, they should be providing you funding. He's like, a lot of them just want you to solely focus on college. They don't want you to have other jobs. So they will like provide a stipend to help. And it's not a lot, but they'll provide a stipend to help you offset your costs and stuff like that. And I was like, I had no idea. Nobody ever told me. But yeah, they were like, do not go to someplace that there's no funding. Just don't do it. Yeah. And, you know, funding is really complicated, too, because, yes, at this point, when you become a Ph.D. student, it slightly like not slightly. It bothers me when people are like, you know, who are not in academia, they're just like, oh, you're you're still a student. You're still in school. I'm like, listen, not the same. It is. This is my job. This is my career. I'm not just a student. And also why are we using just with student? Like there's a lot there. Um, But funding is so complicated because I found funding was the last thing that I considered Mm -hmm. because I wanted to make sure the programs that I looked at fulfilled everything else that I wanted and needed uh, socially, emotionally, academically, Uh, And location-wise, community-wise, like New Orleans has been a trip to live in. I need to live somewhere peaceful and calm and maybe escape climate change crisis for just a slight bit, at least less of an immediate danger. Yeah. Right. Like there's trees in Albany. Like what? So funding was the last thing I considered. And what I have found is that through my, what? two years of researching PhD programs or doctoral programs in general, so DRPH and PhDs for both Latin American studies and public health. And then other things, because I'd be like, oh, social work sounds fun, but like, don't do that. Um, Stick with (laughs) with your experience. What I have found is like a lot of programs don't explicitly state funding, but are funded. Mm. And also a lot of people think that the bigger universities like Johns Hopkins, for example, will fund you and smaller schools like University at Albany will not. And yeah. after talking with students and faculty, they know about pockets of money that you don't and things that aren't on the website. So I would say funding should be the last, at least for me, this is how it worked out. Yeah. It was the last thing that I considered And once I had already built these relationships with people and like, they knew my name, they helped me with my personal statement. They, you know, gave me all this advice, helped me make more contacts. I then started talking to them, like, what does funding look like for you? And you should ask students this more than the faculty, like faculty, you can ask about funding sources, but students are the ones who are having to figure out you know, summer funding, most programs mm-hmm. don't fund your summer. So like, what no, do exactly. you do? They give you, you know, like nine you... months of funding. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to figure out the rest, you know, <laughs> or if it, like, is your funding enough? Like most 
PhD programs in public health, I've seen have a stipend that ranges from like 20 to 25,000, but a $20,000 stipend in New York city for, for example, Columbia. I don't know if that's what Columbia offers. I can't remember. I did look at Columbia, but I don't remember either. I looked at Columbia as well. Yeah. So like $20,000 from Columbia or NYU or whatever Rutgers, you know, that's going to be a lot different than $20,000 at university of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. or a $25,000 stipend in like UCLA versus yeah. 25,000 in, you know, Should University of Michigan. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that like, it just doesn't equal up. So funding is a really irritating factor, but it's very important. And sometimes the websites don't tell you if they're funded or not, or they'll say, Yes, we we fund all of our students. Well, cool. But does that funding mean just tuition, or does yeah. that funding mean tuition plus fees plus health exactly. insurance? Health insurance is a big one for me. That's my only source of health yeah. coverage. So that was a big part for me. And with SUNY Albany, you know, I get a pretty decent package, and it includes health insurance, it includes the stipend, and I will say they're they're additional funding resources for like field work and things Mm -hmm. like that over the summer. It's a lot less than some of the other places I considered, but overall it just made more sense for me to be in Albany at university at Albany and the faculty were so wonderful. They're like, we don't have these specific resources in place, but we're going to help you find them. Like we, we want you. Yeah. And that was so important to me. So funding is absolutely important. You should never pay for a PhD if you can avoid it. But I, yeah, there's a lot to consider with that. There is. So as we wrap up the podcast today, because the time goes by super fast, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? Oh, I, Hmm. This is always the hardest question everybody says. (laughs) Yes. What has worked for me in keeping me motivated and making me push through all the bullshit? I don't know if I can say that on a You can say it. Okay. This is a E. It's rated E for explicit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. The thing that's helped me get through is I never had a mentor. I never met a professional who looked like me, who had my background, who had my interest, like my, my professional like research interest or, you know, things that I wanted to do. I never had that person. And I decided to be the person that I wanted and needed. And in that, I want to be able to help other people find that path for themselves as well. So be the person that you needed, be the person that you wanted and find the ones who understand what you're going through. Hmm. And I know at schools like Tulane and other, not just private institutions, but when you get to these schools and you see like everyone around you is so different from you and not in a good way, not in a way that (laughs) makes you feel supported and excited. I promise you there's at least two or three other people 
who are thinking the exact same thing and you have to find them because once mm -hmm. you find them, those are some incredible bonds that you make. And I don't know if that's helpful, but it's oh, going to suck. Yeah. It's going to be painful, but there are a lot of benefits that you can gain from the experience as well. I can agree on the fact that I'm an older student and finding other students that were older and went back to school really helped me because then I didn't feel like I was so alone in the journey because it can, I'm in classes with people who are a decade younger than me. And then sometimes it's really awkward, especially when they refer to people in their middle to late thirties as middle age. And I'm like, I'm not that old. <laughs> but it has helped. It has helped. No, and you know, meeting other people. I mean, I have friends that are, you know, the typical age of, um, the grad program, but finding friends who are closer to my age has been really helpful because then I didn't feel so alone and they could relate to like all the, you know, so I can completely agree with you on that aspect. Mm -hmm. Well, Marina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you again for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.